You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. With that, uh, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. In the chairback Bibles, the big thick ones on there, those are the ones for you. Romans eight thirty-one, and we're going to get into the, those next verses from Romans eight thirty-one through 36. But before we do, let's, uh, let's just pause and let's pray this morning. God, I'm, I'm really thankful for the things that are happening in the life of this community. Um, to think that you've opened up a door on the campus at De La Vega Elementary School. To think that the children that are part of this church is this prime opportunity that you have given us literally every week and through the months to be a witness of who Jesus is to these young people who become the future. They're not the future, they're the present and the future of your church in the next generation. And as well as just the things and the ministries that we have in our conversations and our prayers for loved ones that surround us as we leave this place. God, thank you for the opportunities that you have given us. And God, thank you too for this message we're going to hear that you are a God who's always always, even in the darkest valleys of the shadow of death, you're always for us. Help us to sort this thing out this morning and help me in my human weakness to be able to convey what your spirit wants to say. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was in my office, this was years ago, Let's see, was this? Yeah, this was Faith Community Church's very first office. Some of you may remember it was on the Seabright Extension just down from Charlie, Hong Kong. That was our first office. And I was in that office with someone who was, <laughs> well, let's just say, really angry with God. And this person, this bug bums me out that this is not an infrequent thing. He, he had grown up in church. He had gone to Sunday school from early childhood. He had gone to junior high group, and he'd gone to senior high group, and all youth groups, the whole enchilada, right, of the church, of church life. Um, and his dad was even a former pastor, but he was angry with God. Not, I wouldn't say not quite angry enough to completely flip God off and then walk away from God quite completely yet, but definitely angry enough that he could put on his prosecutorial hat and then get in, get in the courtroom in his mind and then just, just kind of let God have it. And he started to walk me through the Bible in the conversation because he knew his Bible well enough and to quote it and use it against God. Um, he walked me through and he said to me, he said, Andy, look, Look at what God allowed Job to suffer. Just look at it. Have you read the book? And I go, yeah, I'm a pastor. I've, I've read that book. And he goes, he says, the Bible says Job was like a righteous man. He was like a really good dude. And yet God let him suffer. And not only that, God stood back and did nothing. He goes on, he goes, okay, look, just look at the Apostle Paul. Look at what the Apostle Paul had to suffer trying to tell the world about Jesus and how much he suffered. Or how Peter was trying to tell the world about the love of Jesus and the resurrected Jesus and he was crucified upside down. And then just look at Jesus, the Son of God, died an excruciating, painful death on a cross. And then he paused and he looked me straight in the eye and he pointed at me. And he said this, he says, just look at you and your own life as a pastor. Now, a little pause here. 
He happened to actually like me as a human being. And that doesn't usually go hand in hand. When people are mad at God, they're also mad at all pastors. But in this case, he actually liked me and he pointed at me. He says, just look at your own life as a pastor. You're unjustly underpaid, unjustly undersupported, and underappreciated for everything that you do. Andy, do you understand what I'm telling you? This is how God treats his friends. And I don't like how God treats his friends. Now, he was giving me a theologically flawed critique of God. It wasn't full in its dimensionality of God. But I will be honest, though I didn't admit it to him in the conversation, his argument, particularly the one towards me, it hit home emotionally. You see, while we were having that raw conversation about God, I was in the middle of what everybody who's ever tried, ever tried to plant a church or start a mission for the kingdom is the year three classic year from hell experience as I was trying to help get faith community church started. Everybody who's ever done it, there's always something about year three that's the year from hell. And the truth was that deep down in the shadows of my soul, I too felt some of the same things where I was confusing all the difficulties I was facing with God, and I was confusing rewards, or the lack of them, with God, and I was confusing life in a broken world with God. I was in that place. And what I, I share that with you is because we all can get to the place where it really feels like God is working against us. And, and even though we know a lot of information about God, I, I'm looking at people I know, I have walked with Jesus for many years. You've gone to church for a lot of years of your life. And so you know a lot of stuff about God, a lot of data, but in the fog of real life, we can really easily get confused. We can easily confuse rewards with God, the rewards we get. And let me, let me tell you how, how early on this started, this kind of thinking started coming into my life. In my, in my childhood, when there was only like three network television on my TV in Livermore, there was three channels that you could get, ABC, NBC, CBS. And the network television always played the sound of music at Christmas time. And you know that scene where Sister Maria and Baron Von Trapp finally decide, we're not, we're not against each other, we might actually love each other. And then they sing that song, which lays out the theology of the confusion of rewards equals God. Remember the song they sing? They say, somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know the song? It's a, it's a theology is what it is, is what it's saying. It's confusing a really good year in your life as God's reward for your goodness. So in the fog of real life, it's really easy to get confused about that. In the fog of real life, it's really easy to get confused, confusing difficulties in life with God. To view the difficulties and the pains of life or God's unwilling to lift a finger, unwillingness to lift a finger for you, even though he seems to be answering those people's prayers, to confuse all of that as payback from God because of something you must have done wrong somewhere. Or you get confused about life with God, confusing life with God to view the things that happen in a world that's broken. It's tainted by sin with confusing it with God actively making it happen. Or God allowing it to happen because he didn't stop it. And we get confused and it's like, is that from God? Is that God? 
All I'm trying to say as we get started here is it's really easy to get confused in the fog of real life. But of all people, believers who know Jesus Christ, we don't have to stay confused in that fog when we get there. And today's passage helps us escape confusion and firmly grasp, even in the fog, who is God and how is he working towards me in this fog. So today we're going to continue our series, God is for us. You know, you read the statement and it's just so easy to understand. God is for me. But the, the journey from reading it and going, okay, that kind of makes sense to actually the struggle to actually believe it on a daily basis is not that easy. And so what we've been doing through this summer, we've got this week and next week, we'll wrap it up. We've been looking at what theologians consider the Mount Everest high peak of the high mountain peaks of the New Testament. We've been studying verse by verse Romans chapter 8 to try for Faith Community Church to more completely get it that God is for us. God is a God of grace. He is not against us, even though we live in a world that's broken. So with that in mind, have your Bibles open, Romans 8, and we're going to read verse 31 through 36. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. This is God's holy word. You know, as opposed to our standard, um, how should we call it, suspicion-based prosecution of who God is on a daily basis. Let me repeat that, because maybe you'll go, oh yeah. As opposed to our standard suspicion-based prosecution of who God is in our minds and hearts on a daily basis, Paul gives us in these verses a new gospel-accurate prosecution of who God really is on the daily. And Paul asks the question, he says, what is, if I'm standing in a courtroom prosecuting who God actually is, like the young man who was in my office, or like we often get into in our headspace, and I'm prosecuting God, and I'm doing like a summary statement before it goes to the verdict, what is the grand summary in response to, he says, these things? Now, we got to stop there. What these things? What are these things that he's talking about? Well, it is everything that Romans 8 has already told us. That's what these things are. So let me give you kind of a quick summary of it. These things are, number one, verses 1 through 4, that Jesus Christ has given every believer the permanent radical assurance that we are forever safe and secure in our standing before God. Verses 5 through 11, that 
okay, we're in this relationship with God, but we aren't left to fend for ourselves like God just saved us and then walked away. We're not left to fend for ourselves in this new relationship with God because the Holy Spirit, one part of the Trinity, has actually willingly come to invade our lives to help us actually experience an abundant life in a broken world. Verses 12 through 17, that spirit who's willingly invaded our lives is steadily in the process of trying to persuade us of our secure standing with God and how good God actually is. And our maturity and our experience of an actual abundant life comes from actually believing the spirit as the spirit is speaking to us within. Verse 18 through 25, God is at work building a glorious future for us and even for this planet. And, and, and that future far outweighs the sorrows and the sufferings that we'll ever have to endure in this life. And then last week, verse 26 through 30, so in the face of weakness, in the face of sufferings, in the face of groanings, God is still working to redemptively render good in us, good for us, good despite us, and good through us. So with all of that goodness data in mind, that's these things that Paul's talking about. Paul wants us to ponder, if God is that for us, and he is, who can actually ever be against us? To the point that it actually defeats us or separates us from God and his intentions for us. This God, who wasn't and isn't holding back his best from us, which, by the way, has been the suspicion of the human heart going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. But this God, he's, he isn't and he wasn't holding back from us, actually gave up his dearest Jesus in order to rescue the neediest us from a destiny of doom. And that God is also just as generously committed to, as Paul says in the text, he's committed to graciously give us all things. Now, what does that actually mean? Not meaning a pain-free, problem-free, shiny, happy existence with low gas prices. Because, by the way, if you just even think about that sentence, even though that gets preached in a lot of, a lot of churches, way too many, uh, that's not even possible. That's not even factually possible when you live in a world that is broken and tainted by sin as this one is. In fact, if you want to know how impossible it is, the perfect son of God did not live a pain-free, problem-free, shiny, happy 33 years of life on the planet. So it can't mean that. But what Paul is meaning is God is graciously committed to provide all that is necessary to fulfill his best intention of forming us for heaven and delivering us into heaven. And Paul drives this whole idea home with three follow-up, again, gospel-accurate prosecutorial questions. The first question being that this is his follow-up question is, who can bring a charge against us before God that can actually stick when God's already declared us justified? Who's going to pull that off? Now, what, here, here's the thing. It's not, he's not saying that people can't accuse us because 
Scripture is pretty clear. The enemy of our soul, Satan, is probably constantly accusing us before God. If any of you have ever read the book of Job, which my friend in the early story suggested we all do, is if you read the book of Job, you will find out very quickly, quickly and shockingly that Job likes to go in, or not Job, the enemy of our soul, Satan, likes to go into the throne room of God and accuse God's people before God. And in Job's case, he said, the only reason this guy likes you is because you've blessed his life. You take all his blessings away, he'll curse you. So Satan, probably for all of us, has accused us before God saying, they don't deserve your love. And in fact, I'm sure there have been people in your lives who've prayed imprecatory prayers against you, which are like the prayers of the Psalms that say, shatter their teeth, dear God. Yes, probably people have accused you before God in their prayers. In fact, maybe you've accused yourself before God. So it's not saying that nobody ever will accuse you. What Paul's point is, is that because Jesus sacrificed, satisfied God forever about the consequences we deserve from every sin, no charge is ever going to stick. Second prosecutorial follow-up question. Paul says, who is going to successfully condemn us and make us pay in God's presence? Jesus died in our place, rose again and killed death, and is always speaking up for us before God. He's like in God, right in God's ear, from, seated at the right hand of God. If the one who lived a perfect life and died a perfect death is standing before the Father on our behalf, there is no reason ever to carry the burden of guilt and condemnation in our lives, ever again. Third follow-up prosecutorial question Paul asks as we finish this part of the passage. He says, well, who can separate us from the love of Jesus and from the love of the entire Trinity? Can trouble do it? Hard times? Hatred? Hunger, homelessness, bullying threats, backstabbing, and our worst sins, can they, can they pull that off? The only thing that we would ever need to fear harming us, when you really get, it, get down to it, the only thing that we would ever need to fear harming us is God's being, love being ripped away from us and taken, to be abandoned by God. And though it feels like on a daily basis, we are like sheep strolling towards our slaughter, that love will never be removed from us. See, here's, listen, I want you to listen to this. This is what Paul's getting at with this gospel-based prosecution of who God actually is, is that nothing will ever stop Jesus' passion and purposes for you. If you've come to know Jesus, nothing Nothing in your life, nothing in eternity can stop Jesus' passion and purposes for you. Let's break that down. Let's talk about passion. What I mean by that is that it's, it's not trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword can tear away the Holy Trinity's deep, abiding, emotional passion for you and for me. That unshakable feeling of deep, deep love in the depth of the triunified God's heart led God to act in a way at cost to God to save us. And it will never fade or be ripped away from us. But it's not just about the passion. It's not just about that God actually has emotive feelings towards us, which I know for some of us, that's a newsflash. Like, wait, God's... God's not just kind of like going to welcome me in heaven and I can only sit on the couch with the plastic coverings on it and everybody else can sit over there. But he actually has deep emotional, like, 
he, he has a longing to be with me? Yeah, that's a newsflash for maybe for some of us. But it's not just about deep, deep feelings of love that are held secretly inside of God's heart, but they make no practical difference in our lives. It is also about his ongoing commitment to render his good purposes in our lives. And let me be very clear about what I mean by rendering his good purposes in our lives. Romans 8, by the way, has been pretty clear as we've been studying it about what that does not mean. It doesn't mean constant sunshine, wine, and roses, and having your best life now, as one Christian author sadly titled it. It's not that. It, because here's what's in the text in Romans 8. It isn't about avoiding present suffering, verse 18, Paul says. It isn't about avoiding the experience of the creation itself, and we're watching it, groaning as in the term pains of childbirth, verse 22. It isn't about avoiding groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies, verse 23. No, God's rendering his good purposes in our lives is about his active work of forming us for heaven. Not for having a white picket fence and a really shiny car. Forming us for heaven. That our God loves us just the way we are. And he loves us so much, he is not going to leave us the way we are. He's not going to leave us in the dungeon he found us in. He is molding and shaping and forming us into people who are fit to enjoy life with God forever in his kingdom forever. It is about forming us. And it is also about delivering us into heaven. That at the time of God's choosing, whether it is through death or through the rapture, God's going to bring us home to the place he's preparing for us to spend that with him, spend it with him forever in that place. That's what we mean by rendering his good purposes in our lives. So here's what this means. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, um, I had the honor of walking into sacred space. I I talked to you about one conversation I was having with a believer struggling at the very beginning of this message. And then I had a conversation this light Tuesday afternoon. Unlike the conversation I told you about earlier with a young man, he was angry with God, ready to walk away from God. This was a conversation with a young couple, a middle-aged husband. They have two daughters facing surgery for bile duct cancer and yet still trusting God. Nathan and Shara York, who you all know from our church, Nathan was an elder at this church before they moved away to Boise, um, they had called me when they hit their hotel room in Salt Lake City uh, before he was going to have surgery, and they asked me to pray for them as Nathan prepared for surgery on Wednesday morning. And I'll be honest, like in moments like that, I, I'm just like, oh, this is so sacred. Am I the right person for this conversation? Like, I, I don't know. What, what am I going to say? And I shared with them, we have a good relationship, that I, I personally was struggling with what Romans 8 that I was studying, actually, what does that actually mean when you're suffering like they were? Because I'm going to get up and I'm not going to have a lot of pain on Sunday morning and I can just go, here's what it means, and then I don't have to live it necessarily. So I said to them, I said, what does it look like with hardship and difficulty, how God, it does look like this is how God treats his friends. It does look like that. 
And so before I prayed with them, I go, can I, can I just ask you a question? And they said, sure. I said, what does it actually mean that nothing can separate us from the love of God in what you're going through? Because I'm going to be honest with you. To, to them, I said this. I said, to me, as I look at what you're going through, it feels a little bit like love schmuff. Okay, God loves me. Look at what we're dealing with. What good does that do for me in this situation? That's my question. And there was a long, thoughtful pause. And then Nathan shared weekly. He said, I'm, I'm experiencing God's love through the prayers of God's people around the world. He said, I, I don't think I ever knew. I knew it in my head, but I didn't know it, like know it, know it. How vast is the kingdom of God even in this present time around the world? that we've actually been contacted from believers around the world who are praying for us. I've experienced the power and love of God from our neighbors helping us and fellow believers in the new church we're going to in Boise. And he says, I'm experiencing the power and the love of God as I've been able to share my faith with an increased boldness when people are looking at our lives and asking us questions and they're not believers themselves and they're actually listening with rapt attention when I tell them about Jesus. And then Shara was pretty quiet through it, but then Shara added this. She says, for me, it means that no matter how far this goes or how low I sink, how dark it gets, I'm caught. I'm caught. God has me. Even though I'm afraid, I'm caught. And she said, I I feel like God through this is helping me see something that I didn't quite understand before, that I am actually being placed as this small but meaningful person to him into this vast picture of God's story more than God being inserted into my little story. And I'm learning that. I'm caught. I'm caught. By the way, keep praying for them. Uh, Nathan's had some setbacks, and it's still pretty tough. And he's been in ICU in and out a couple of different times. So keep praying. But what I want to say is this, is nothing will ever stop Jesus's passion and purposes for us. And here's what this means, and it comes really from what Sharon and Nathan were saying, is walk on with the confidence of always being caught by your God. You'll always be caught. Walk on and walk forward into whatever you're facing, confident that God is always for you. He is never against you, no matter what it looks like. No matter if you, if you have a complaint that this is how it seems that he treats his friends. Because God didn't spare his own son to rescue you. Think of that. Because he didn't spare his own son to rescue you, you will always be able to look at the cross And in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through, the darkest night of the soul, the darkest valley of your life, whatever it is you're going through, you may never know why he allowed it, but you will always be able to know because of the cross. It will never be because he doesn't love you. That's never the answer. You'll know at least that. Even when it's proven that you're not perfect, no charge will stick against you before God. No, no one ever in all of space and time could make a charge against you that can stick before God. And even though it feels on a daily basis like you're a lamb strolling to your slaughter, God's love is never going to be ripped away from you. You will always be caught. 
no matter how far the struggle goes and the anxiety rise, you will always be caught, no matter how low you sink and it feels like life is pulling, pull, pull, piling on and pushing you deeper into the mire. You will always be caught, no matter how dark it gets and you can't see and you can't feel and you can't hear God and he's falling terrifyingly silent. You will always be caught. I'm going to invite the band to come on up to lead us in worship. I, I think that as they get set for us to sing, man, and I, I, hope, I hope we can sing, 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 not just sing, but sing, sing this morning. I think that in Romans 8, verses 31 through 36, Paul presents to us an important exercise that, in, that is important to our thriving. If we want to thrive, we need to pay attention to this exercise Paul engages in through these verses. That instead of continuing the standard practice or exercise of suspicion-based prosecution of who God is on the daily in our lives, where the standard questions of prosecution are the daily questions of, is God against me? Is God against me? Are these troubles in my life and God's non-intervention proof that he doesn't really love me and he isn't going to love me at all? Instead of that, we are invited through these verses into a gospel existence that includes the important exercise of gospel accurate prosecution of who God is on the daily, where the standard questions of prosecutions are summed up with the question, if God is for me, who and what is going to be against me to actually truly defeat me, where the fruit of that kind of gospel accurate prosecution is shalom, is peace, and resilience in your life. Nothing will ever stop Jesus' passion and purposes for you. So we really can be a people of unshakable hope who walk on with confidence. I'm always going to get caught. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gospel, the good news. And it's not just news about what's held in your heart for us, although that is precious But it's also news about how you are actively engaged in our lives. Even in the darkest times when you have fallen silent, you're still there. You're still present. God, we do want to pray for our friends. We pray for the surgeons who continue to try to address the needs of Nathan's body trying to heal and trying to recover. And for poor Shara herself there in the hospital, praying diligently for her husband and for their family. We join them this morning, God, that today becomes a pivotal turning point for them. But God, thank you for their witness to us, that they, in their weakness, are ministering to me and to us about what this even really means. And God, help us to integrate it into our lives and our own places of the dark shadows and the hurts and the brokennesses of our lives to know you're for us and you love us. Thank you so much for that love. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.